Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today, I want to discuss an aspect of the abortion debate that's particularly disturbing and that most people probably are very unaware of. And that is the fact that many times in Canada, in the United States and around the world, babies are actually born alive during abortion procedures and then left to die. And this caught my attention recently. Those of you who follow LifeSiteNews.com will know that LifeSite News has several reporters on the ground in San Francisco uh, to cover the trial of David Delayden, Sandra Merritt, Troy Newman, and a number of pro-lifers involved with the Planned Parenthood uh, baby body part scandal. This is the scandal that broke in 2015, uh, re- basically revealing the fact that the abortion industry was harvesting organs from babies and then selling them to biomedical companies. And one of the things that's just... I didn't think I could get more shocked by this story, to be honest. I I reported on the story at the time. I've watched hours of footage from the Center for Medical Progress. But they actually have an abortionist on the stand in San Francisco to confirm that what the pro-lifers are saying is correct. That uh, organizations like Planned Parenthood are altering the abortion procedure in order to harvest intact organs. You'll remember that one video talked about crushing the baby above and crushing the baby below the the organs you want to keep intact for sale. and the, Dr. Forrest Smith, who's an abortionist who's done uh, at least 50,000 abortions, has basically been stating that this is actually going on. He said... Let me read you a quote here from the LifeSite News report on this. The accepted method for this type of abortion is to dilate the cervix by inserting laminaria or seaweed sticks one or two days before the abortion, depending on the baby's gestational age. Misoprostol can act as a cervical preparation agent in small doses of 25 to 100 milligrams to soften the cervix for an induction of a term pregnancy, Smith said, forced Smith being the abortionist. But large doses of 300 to 400 milligrams every Every three to four hours to induce labor for an abortion, as Planned Parenthood abortionists were apparently doing, will trigger tumultuous labor that will result in fetal expulsion in which the, quote, fetus comes out without any assistance from the abortion doctor, no instrumentation, so they're not dismembering it. There's no question in my mind that at least some of these fetuses were live births, Smith said. It gets worse. Here's what World Magazine reported. And this is just brutal. On the final day of the hearing, that being the David DeLayden trial, stem cell scientist Teresa Daysher testified that fetal hearts used in studies must be harvested from living babies. She said the heart has to be beating and be arrested in a relaxed position, end quote. If the babies die beforehand, the heart contracts and cannot be used. Basically, to cut through what that means, it means that the baby hearts that are being sold to biomedical companies. This is proven. Uh, By the way, baby body parts are also harvested in Canada as well and used for experimentation, but that these hearts have to be harvested from the chests of living babies. Their hearts have to be cut out while they're beating. This is a monumental barbarism. This is is a discussion happening in open court right now in San Francisco. And what have you heard about this? This should be this should be breaking news on every TV network. It should be on the front page of every newspaper, and you're hearing almost nothing. So to discuss this issue with me, uh, I asked my friend Jill Stanek to come on the show. Jill Stanek, uh, 
had a, had a very strange route into the pro-life movement. She was working as a registered nurse when she realized that at the hospital where she worked, babies were being born alive and left to die after abortions. Uh, she has seen unbelievable and horrifying things. And so I wanted to have a discussion with her so that... It, I wanted you to hear it from somebody who has seen it themselves. And so Jill Stanek, she was a, a, a well-known pro-life blogger for years, and she she currently works for the Susan B. Anthony list. Um, uh, I love her very much. She's, she's, she's a, a friend of mine. Uh, she has seen unbelievable things. And so today's show is my conversation uh, with Jill Stanek about the horrors of infanticide and the harvesting of baby body parts that are taking place right across North America. <laughs> So just to start off, I wanted to share with you something that's been reported in several outlets about the David DeLayden trial that's currently going on in San Francisco over the baby body part scandal, which all of our listeners and viewers will be familiar with. And what's interesting about this case is they actually had a an abortionist from California, Dr. Forrest Smith, who's done over 50,000 abortions, and they had him testify on behalf of the pro-lifers to confirm the accuracy of these videos. And there's no not a whole lot that shocks me, but this this line here actually from World Magazine really stuck out to me, especially because it's not being covered anywhere in the mainstream press. Nobody's talking about the gruesome details of this because they've been claiming the Delayden videos are discredited uh, ever since they broke in 2015, and so they can't really uh, talk about the fact that there's an abortionist confirming this is the case. So here here's the here's the relevant quote: Very few people in abortion outside of Planned Parenthood do that, said Dr. Forrest Smith on the stand. On the final day of the hearing, stem cell scientist Teresa Daysher testified that fetal hearts used in studies must be harvested from living babies. She said the heart, quote, has to be beating and be arrested in a relaxed position. If the baby dies beforehand, the heart contracts and cannot be used, which basically means, so we knew they were aborting babies and they were harvesting the body parts. We knew that they were changing the abortion procedures to to preserve certain body parts for use in experimentation. But I will admit that although I thought there was nothing that could shock me about this, the fact that they had to keep the babies alive to extract the beating hearts from their chest, that this is actually going on, this just stuns me. And, and the reason the mainstream media isn't covering this, of course, is, is because they can't. And so based on based on this story um, I just wanted to know you're this is how this is something you've actually seen firsthand. There are many people who say, look, the abortion industry is is very regulated. The abortion industry simply terminates pregnancies. But th- your entry into the pro-life movement was actually seeing a baby dying uh, in a back room in a hospital. So I wanted to have you on the show to discuss what you saw with your own eyes. So everybody listening to the show who thinks that that might be pro-lifers exaggerating know that no, this is really really happening and this is happening way more often than people think right um my story happened 20 years ago jonathan but governor northam of virginia made clear that this is still happening today when he was trying to defend a pro-abortion a wildly pro-abortion bill in virginia earlier this year he said in a radio interview and he's a pediatric 
neurologist. And he said, and I'm quoting, um, and he's talking about third trimester abortions if the baby survives. He said, um, I can tell you exactly what happens. The infant would be delivered. The infant would be kept comfortable. The infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. Cutting through, you know, the gobbledygook, he's yep. saying that um, these babies, if they survive their abortions, they'll be set aside, supposedly made comfortable, and then the mom and the doctors will decide whether to resuscitate or not, whether to let the baby die or not. Um, President Trump called it execution. That's, that's what it would be. So... Uh, what happened to me was that, and I saw this then from the other side of that right. decision, from the baby's perspective. I was a, a nurse. I was a registered nurse in the labor and delivery department of Christ Hospital on the southwest side of Chicago in 1999 when I discovered that not only was the a hospital involved in late-term abortions, but sometimes babies survived. And if they survived, they were left, left to die in the soiled utility room. Uh, Christ Hospital admitted to the Chicago Sun-Times that between 10 and 20% of babies aborted by this method survived. So that would be at least one in five. So wow. uh, one, one night a nursing coworker was taking a little abortion survivor to our soiled utility room to die because the parents didn't want to hold him and she didn't have time to hold him that night. And when she told me what she was doing, I couldn't bear the thought of this suffering child dying alone. And so I, yeah. I did cradle and rock him for the 45 minutes that he lived. Um, he was about 21, 22 weeks old. He was about the size of my hand. And he didn't move very much because he was using all of his energy attempting to breathe. And I remember toward the end of his life, I couldn't tell if he was alive or not unless I held him up against the light to see if I could see his heart beating through his chest wall because their skin is so thin at that age and after he was pronounced dead 45 minutes later I folded his little arms across his chest I tied them together with a little string I wrapped him in a shroud and I took him to the morgue where we took all of our dead patients they knew that they were killing a baby so one of one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because like we, you and I have talked about your story before, we've met in person at, at conferences and things like that, is it, it sounds from your story like this was almost standard practice. Like, I don't have time to hold this baby tonight. Um, and so then c- can you do that? Like, there are medical professionals who, for years before you discovered this, obviously, were just actually, you know, cradling babies before they died as a matter of course. And this just didn't get discussed publicly until you started talking about it. Is, is that understanding correct? Yes. Um, when I eventually went public, when Christ, uh, private appeals to the hospital didn't work, um, the news spread like wildfire across the U.S. And I was being interviewed from one end of the country to the other. And it turned out that this method of abortion that sometimes results in babies being aborted alive wasn't publicly known. And the first place that it was publicly um, known was at a hospital in Christ, which was just so inflammatory and blasphemous to Christians. And right. So, yes. Yes. This was when it first was publicized. So um, just before we get into this phenomenon of babies being born alive after abortions and then and then left to die, or in, in certain instances that we know, like that instance in Texas, actively killed, when you left 
the morgue after after basically dropping off this baby who had died in your arms. Where did you? How did you go from there to deciding to go public, and what happened next? Because I remember when I started working in the pro life movement, I actually didn't know your original story. I knew you as a pro life blogger. Um, who uh, several times a week at least were blogging on different uh, on different things going on inside the pro life movement, and you were one of the few pro life bloggers out there. So tons of people t- people read your blog. So how did you go from being a registered nurse who experienced this? Um, how did you go public? What made you decide to and 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 so sort of give us that story in between rocking this 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 dying child to becoming a, a well known figure inside the pro life movement? Yeah, and just. Um Remind me to tell you about this specific procedure that results in babies being aborted alive, because I think that'll clarify to um, your viewers how this can possibly happen. Okay. Yes. But um, in my case, I tried private appeals, a letter to the hospital. Um, I was called in by my superiors. They said that it had been going on there for 20 years without a policy and they weren't going to stop. Next, we asked a couple of influential people and organizations to privately appeal. I brought my pastor in on this, and we had determined to follow um, what Jesus said to do in Matthew 18. When you see someone in sin, first you go to them privately, then you take back a couple of witnesses privately, and then you go public if, if none of those work. Right. So, um, Cardinal Francis George wrote to the hospital, Dr. C. Everett Koop, who was a former Surgeon General of the United States under President Reagan, and he was pro-life appealed, but they didn't work. And that's when, um, you know, we we went public as we told them we were going to do. I decided from the onset I wasn't going to be a shadowy figure, that uh, it would be too hard. And and, and then it would um, imply that, uh, I was uh, uncomfortable with myself and I wasn't at all. I was, they sh- were the ones that, who should be uncomfortable. So after two years, I got fired and did eventually get into blogging. Um, my life took a complete turn after I held that baby and, and I was instantly converted into a pro-life activist. And that's been the, the trajectory of my life since then. There's one question I wanted to ask in between there is that is that uh, your revelation and the ensuing stories that that came out of that revelation ended up resulting in the partial birth abortion ban signed by George W. Bush. I, I have two questions. Uh, how how did that process unfold? And then secondarily, and this is this is just a personal thing. Uh, listen, regular listeners to this podcast will know that I have always been a, a enormous fan of George W. Bush as a person. Uh, policy aside, I've I've always just really loved him. And one of the things that I've as, as as grateful as I am for everything Donald Trump has done, I've always been somewhat resentful of this idea that we finally have a pro life president and we didn't have one before. So I wanted to know you had the opportunity to talk to George W. Bush. So what was what was was talking to him about abortion like was this something he was genuinely uh, passionate about i didn't ever have a close conversation with him just with his people and um he was pro-life i will i will say he was pro-life and um i admired you know he did bring forth the born alive infants protection act he did sign it in 2002 and then later on he signed the um, partial birth abortion ban in 2003 but on Donald Trump, he is just so proactive. Um, I think saying that Trump is the most pro-life president we've ever had isn't to slight other presidents like President Bush and, and President Reagan. It's to say that um, he is 
fitting the mode that we've always hoped for of being <laughs> right. vulnerable, vocal about it, you know, calling Hillary Clinton out in their debate that she just wants babies dismembered during the last trimester. And it was, she, she recoiled at that, but it was absolutely true. And when you called um, leaving the abortion survivors to die execution, it was true. Calling out the Democrats for being so, um, supportive of the worst parts of abortion, taxpayer funding abortion. And he had another important thing that presidents do, and President Bush did do this to an extent, but President Trump is going gang- gangbusters, is hiring people in the administration who are like-minded on abortion. Right. They set the policy. And so he has um, done that. Very good pro-life people. And he has issued executive orders and um, administrative orders that uh, we just about everything we've ever asked him to do, he's done. Right. So just uh, back to the, the yeah, thing. I'm sorry that if that privacy. was a segue to unintended. <laughs> yeah. No, well, you work you work for the SBA list, so I, sh- I should have assumed that was coming if I mentioned anything <laughs> political. <laughs> um, so, so to backtrack a little bit, um, maybe you could explain for the listeners and the viewers about the, the this, this abortion procedure that often results in babies being born alive and left to die. Like 10 to 20 percent reported by the Chicago Sun-Times. That number is, is actually much higher than I thought. So we have still statistics come out coming out regularly in Canada and there's one really great pro-life blogger here in Canada named Pat Maloney who has a blog called Run With Life, and she just basically submits these freedom of access to information reports year after year, gets the statistics and the reports and what she finds. And she found that about 150 babies, based on Stats Canada, were born alive and left to die after abortion procedures in 2018. Um, and this is that's just the most recent number. It's, it, it's now a regular thing uh, that statistics come out here in Canada. It was 437 babies at one point. Um, but stretching all the way back, we now know that in Canada, babies are regularly born alive and left to die after abortion procedures. Some people would say, look, oh, there's 100,000 abortions in a year and only 150 are born alive and left to die. That's insane. Uh, the Canadian Criminal Code, which is functionally insane um, because it says that the child is, does not become a child until it exits the womb of its mother in a living form. So it has to fully exit the birth canal before it's a human being. So these babies are human beings. And we had a couple of members of parliament. What was this? I think six or seven years ago. Uh, actually asked the RCMP to investigate this, and the whole thing was just completely ignored. So what is the abortion procedure that results in in these children being born alive and left to die? And that, that side note there was just so that regardless of who's listening, wherever you are in North America, if you're in the States, if you're in Canada, this is happening at hospitals near you. Yeah, people are familiar with the DNA abortion procedure, um, and that is for late-term babies, um, a little younger than the babies we're talking about, where they the abortion just basically takes like medical pliers and just rips yeah. arms and legs off the baby and then pulls the baby out. But after when the baby's um, bones and muscles become too strong for them to do that, then they then that is one reason that they move to induce labor abortion. And to commit induced labor abortion, the abortionist inserts a medication in the mom's birth canal up to the cervix, which is the opening that's supposed to stay closed until a mom is about 40 weeks pregnant. 
Right. Um, when you're pregnant, your uterus is shaped kind of like a hot air balloon, and at the bottom is the cervix. So what these doctors are doing are trying to induce abortions on babies that are very young, who they don't think will survive past the procedure or much past it, or babies who are handicapped. And so um, they uh, dilate the cervix, and so these babies who are are fully formed but still very small, in essence, just falls fall out of the uterus, and that's how it comes to be that sometimes they're aborted alive. And I, my experience at Christ was that they aborted between, by this procedure, 19 and as late as 28 weeks, uh, a baby who weighed over two pounds was delivered by this procedure and let down. So the, the child, the little boy that you were holding, that was the procedure they had used yes. to abort him? Yes, right. and that's how it happens. So one of the, one of the things, I, I, and I have to admit, it, it's interesting because when you're in the pro-life movement, you hear things that, that, that most people just don't hear. And so I remember when I got, uh, when I first joined the pro-life movement in a full-time capacity, and I did a lot of traveling around the country, we would do, you know, educational tours with abortion victim photography and the whole works. And one of the, the weirdest experiences for me was to have these people at your presentations come up to you and they would tell you stories that would just rock you. And I'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. That doesn't happen, right? So I, I remember, this was in Kelowna. I had a, a, an elderly nurse come up and say, yeah, no, I remember. I remember um, how horrible abortion was when it first started. Uh, and I thought she was just referring to the, the sort of thing we had just talked about in our presentation. She said, yeah, I remember a baby being born alive. And the doctor panicked because he'd never had that before and he threw the baby into the garbage can so this baby would have been tiny probably right around between 20 to 22 weeks and she, and she said i can still remember hearing the the rustling that the baby made in in the papers in the wastebasket and i remember just staring and that is not the first time i've heard that story like i have heard a number of stories now from medical professionals who are talking about babies who are born alive and left to die and i'm sure you've seen that famous black and white photograph of a garbage bag filled with babies of dead babies that that photograph was actually taken here in Toronto, Canada. Um, yeah, incidentally, that was the photograph, of course, that convicted Joe Scheider to join the pro-life movement. And so I, I, I knew intellectually that this was happening, but when you meet somebody who said like, I heard a baby rustling in a waste paper basket, it just gives you such a different view of the, uh, of the country that you live in. So like what sort of stories when you came forward, I know many other people came to you and said, I've had the same experience. Right. And so what sort of stories did you hear from hospitals across the U S after you came forward with your story? Well, I had a coworker, Allison Baker testify with me in Washington, DC about one time walking into the soiled utility room to find a live aborted baby laying naked on the scale and another time to find a live aborted baby laying naked on the metal shelf next to the sink. And she said she herself inherited a patient one time who had just uh, delivered a baby alive, aborted a baby alive, and the baby was in the soiled utility room because she didn't want anything to do with him. And so Allison still had to care for two patients, and she would go into the mom's room, and the mom would say to her, is he dead yet? Is he dead yet? Wow. And I, I had another experience that a nurse relayed to me. Of, she said, Jill, I can't stop thinking about it. And this was the abortion of a baby who was just over 23 weeks old. And the line of viability in 99 was 23 weeks or a pound, um, right around those, you know, the weight or age, meaning right. at, at that point, the babies were considered resuscitatable. So this baby was right on that line. The mom wasn't going to be able to complete her pregnancy to term. 
So because she was at a hospital that offered choices, my friend uh, said, the doctor said to her, do you want to, you know, try to hold on and we'll give you medications to try and strengthen the baby's lungs, give the baby a fighting chance, or you just want to abort, you just want to get it over with. And she said, yeah, I just want to abort. So she wanted everything done for her, for, for her, the baby, four specialists from the neonatal unit would have been sent over just specifically to care for this baby. But yeah. because she wasn't wanted, the only people present at her delivery was my nurse friend and an OBGYN resident. She was aborted alive. She began thriving on her own. Her APGAR scores improved between one and five minutes, meaning she was, she was showing signs of perking up without any help. And nothing right. was done for her. She was just kept in the department in Rock for the two and a half hours that she lived. Wow. Now, uh, yeah. In, in, on, a, on a darker note, I remember uh, the, uh, the live action. I think this was their last big, um, their last big undercover investigation. So this would have been, ironically, actually, this would be in, in 2013 while the Kermit Gosnell trial was going on. And I'm sure everybody listening uh, and watching knows what the Kermit Gosnell trial was. I actually went to the final day of, of the Kermit Gosnell trial to, uh, to, to watch it unfold. But for those who, who don't know, he was a Philadelphia abortionist um, who, who perfected a process of abortion where he would just deliver the babies alive. He'd flip them over, stick scissors in the back of their neck, cut their spinal cords, and they would suffocate to death. He was also guilty of, I believe, in the court documents, it said something like something like over a hundred fetal beheadings, um, which is which is basically decapitating children. Uh, but on the way back from the trial, we stopped in Washington D.C. and and there was a stop the killing rally going on in front of a massive abortion complex, a Planned Parenthood in Washington D.C. Uh, with live action, and so there was a whole bunch of, of pro-lifers there protesting. And what they were protesting was that the abortionist at this uh, abortion clinic had said that he would actively kill the babies after they were born. I believe, uh, don't quote me on it because I haven't seen that that. Um, that uh, piece of journalism in a little bit. I believe he was the one who drowned the babies after they came out alive. But then there was the, in the same investigation, there was the Texas abortionist who strangled one of the children who came out alive. Um, well, that, that, that whole investigation was it, like just from horror to horror. And I haven't seen anything so, so horrifying until the David Daleiden um, uh, center for medical progress expose came out in 2015. What do what do you know in your research and through your experience about the babies that are, are born alive after abortions not being left to die but actively killed? Because I know you blogged a lot on that. You did a lot of research into this area. Um, and just so our listeners really understand this, I know this is a very dark and macabre topic, but right now, as as we as we just discussed, this is this is this this stuff is being is being read out in court in San Francisco, and nobody's nobody's talking about it, and the mainstream media is pretending it's not happening. So it's really important to talk about it. Yeah, I, Jonathan, I think um, the videos by Center for Medical Progress are unveiling things of course you and I never knew about um, you know needing to harvest organs I'm sure you're going to get into of living babies I can only speak to since I, I never observed outright killing but I can only speak to what you've also heard you and I have both heard uh, incidences both in court and then um, the nurses at that clinic in Houston took pictures of babies so yeah yeah, so um, that's really my direct, I don't have direct knowledge of babies being outright killed. 
Right. Just from the live action investigation, I believe that investigation was called Inhuman. It's their 2013 investigation yeah. for anybody who wants to look it up. Um, it is it is still, in fact, on YouTube. So when yeah, you're looking just at to stop there, um, that investigation was pretty much totally about abortionists, what they would do in the event that a baby was aborted alive. And so several abortionists said they would either kill the baby or set the baby aside to die. But um no, they in doing that they were admitting that yeah it happens. Which it's it, it's sort of interesting because the the media goes into damage control whenever pro lifers expose something like this. And one of the most interesting things to me about that is is not that they they say pro lifers are lying because they have to right they have to say our pictures are fake because otherwise they have to grapple with the fact that the pictures of aborted babies might be real. They have to say David Daleiden's lying or they have to explain how they can justify harvesting organs from living children. Like they have to deny these things because that's really their only option at this point but what's interesting to me is that so many abortion workers and abortionists have come out and and said these things right so if you're not going to listen to the pro-life movement not just even the former abortionists like dr bernard nathanson but I, I, I was uh, I had Abby Johnson on the podcast when her film just came out a few months ago, and she told me one story that I hadn't even read in her book or on her blog, where uh, this woman who was pregnant with quadruplets, uh, the, the 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 children literally just started falling out of her, right? And she was she ran a, a Planned Parenthood clinic in D.C. She saw this happen. Carol Everett, same thing, ran three clinics in Texas, uh, and, and tell stories that will make your blood run cold. And so why do you think it is that they even ignore people in their own industry? Well, and some of the be- best footage, um, I, I'll take this moment to say that we have a very, very strange job. Um, but yeah. well, when I say best footage yeah, for David Delighton, I mean, they, they leaked they leaked this massive amount of uh, of footage, uh, footage that he wasn't allowed to release, and, and I downloaded the torrent, and then I watched the whole footage. I think I watched like uh, seventeen hours of it or something. And and in that footage, you see um, him at the um, um, NAF workshops, the National Abortion Federation, and you see these discussions between abortionists and. That stuff didn't get reported on because there was jokes about eyeballs falling into laps. Remember that one abortionist was like, yeah, what do you do when when an, when an eyeball falls in your lap? And she kind of and everybody laughs like, yeah, I know what you mean when, a, you know, a, a, the eyeball falls out of the head of a baby. And this stuff was just it's and then when they laughed, it sounded hellish because of the thing they were discussing, like eyeballs falling out of babies. Right. Like it's dolls missing an eye are creepy. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the stuff of horror films. The stuff they're talking about is actually happening, and it's just, it's just sort of horrifying. And you spent a lot of time on the media side of things, blogging, because you had one of the most well-read pro-life blogs in the U.S. for quite a number of years. What was your experience trying to push this into the mainstream conversation? And what do you think it will take for the mainstream media to cover this if they won't even cover it when it's an abortionist, a still practicing abortionist, uh, in California on the stand testifying? this does happen admitting it and the the guy's done 50,000 abortions if you can't listen to him who are you going to listen to well that was a two-part question and the first part is that I ran into uh first people not uh, either believing this story or just wanting to cast aside when state senator Barack Obama was running for the U.S. Senate yeah 2004 now I live in Illinois and I had testified before him on three different committees on um, born alive in, uh, 
bill that was introduced in Illinois that was similar to the federal bill, and he voted against it four times. And he even testified on the floor of the Senate saying that um, giving these born babies we're talking about he, the same rights he said as full-term wanted babies, he said, would lead to the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And so he, that's why he said he voted against it. So he was even willing to advocate infanticide. And that's what we called him when he was running for Senate and president. He was a and, and to be clear, didn't even Hillary Clinton vote for this one? Yes. On the federal level, the identical bill that was introduced in Illinois was unanimously supported in the Senate. Biden, Clinton, Boxer, Kennedy, you know, the worst of the worst, all of them voted for it because they realized even if they really had not wanted to vote for it, that it was a step too yeah. far. And NARAL went neutral on that bill, too. But that no was, kidding. That was people okay. didn't, um, we had, we had videotape, you know, uh, not video, audio tape of what President then state senator barack obama said we had his testimony written out i have links my blog is still live archived and there is an icon in the top right where you can go and um read three or four different times when when obama opposed the born alive act in illinois but people either it was it was too bizarre for them they or they just didn't want to believe it and actually that is the dynamic that we're working with on a larger scale of people think that abortion is wrong. They think that it's murder. If you ask them that question in a poll, yet they, they also are confused because then they hear about, well, what about, you know, the babies who are the products of rape and incest? And so they don't know what to do with this information, you know, they're against it, but they feel sorry for the moms. And so they just shut down and go in denial. And so it, it's the Pontius Pilate um, defense. You know, I don't like what right. you're doing, but okay, go ahead. So what we have to do as a pro-life movement is convince these, you know, get them to think about it again. And what I've, what I've been finding um, during that time was that uh, they didn't want to think about it, but I think they're thinking about it more. And I forgot the second part of your question. Second part of the question is, how do you get the media to to actually address the fact that this is happening? And just to, I'll, I'll add an addendum to that question, because you mentioned at the beginning of this interview, um, the go- Governor Ralph Northam essentially admitting that this does happen, that babies are born alive after abortion attempts and, and left to die, or let the doctor and the parents decide together whether or not the child will be left to die. And I just, I remember when that came out, and I was stunned, and the entire media ran defense almost immediately. And, and it was they basically did everything that it took to not talk about how barbaric barrack this was they did the same thing when new york passed their abortion till birth uh bill they they like this year you've had so many democrats let the mask slip and come out and say no human rights before birth none and like after birth will occasionally give you a pass if you didn't manage to get the abortion finished in time and you've seen just how corrupt the media is where they run total defense and they nitpick words so i remember when trump came out and he quoted ralph northam's words and said this is like executing the baby and they're like not technically executing because they're leaving it to die and you know not shooting it or whatever so it's not technically execution but if the next question to the media would have been well so is leaving it to die then killing the baby through negligence no that not that neither like they just they just refuse to sort of address the question they just rebut wherever they can right you had that one you had that one idiot doctor uh, dr jen gunter who actually called heartbeat bills uh fetal pull cardiac 
activity bills. Like they'll do anything to dehumanize the preborn child. So you've been through the media firestorms on Born Alive and Left to Die after you came public with your story. You now work for the Susan B. Anthony list, which has been working hard on a bunch of pieces of legislation related to this issue. We've had governors and Democrats basically come out and admit they support this, or at least we'll do nothing to stop it over the past nine months. What can we do to get the media to actually cover this stuff, or is it simply not going to happen? Well, it's basic fact that we all know that the the mainstream media is liberal. It's biased. And yeah. mainstream media is pro-abortion. I have read articles from before 1973 that showed you didn't know at that time that the media was biased, but they were advocating for a legalized abortion way before an L.A. Times article, right. I specifically recall. So... If the abortion industry, if pro-abortion ideologues admit that any part of abortion is wrong, they open up a can of worms that they don't want to open up. If if they say that partial birth abortion is wrong, well, why is it wrong? And yeah. if they, well, the baby's, you know, older baby, well, then at what age is the baby not a baby? They just can't go there. So they shut down, the media shut this down. But I will say that despite um, the liberal bias this year, because as you said, so many Democrat candidates have, have let reality show that they do support abortion throughout all nine months, paid for by the taxpayers, and taking away protections for babies who are aborted alive. They are letting this show, and the media is even, I have several articles where the media says, you know, they're really opening the door here for um, Republicans to capitalize so. on it, or they're putting themselves in a place they may not want to be in after the right. primary is over. So they, there is some, um, there is some objectivity we're starting to see now. But of course, okay, enough. Yeah, one of the final things I wanted to get into uh, with you in this interview, um, because of your work with the SBA list, is I know that there's been another Born Alive Survivors Protection Act put forward. Yeah. I saw a wonderful speech on that act um, by Senator um, um, Senator Ben Sass. Am I yeah. saying his name right? Yeah. Ben Sass from Nebraska. Yeah. Um, he's, I think, one of my favorite senators. He, he, he's written, he writes a book a year, too, and his books are phenomenal. And his speech on abortion was just exceptional. And what, what, what I was wondering, um, because I, I work in the movement and I wasn't able to quite figure it out, is if Bush already signed one of these bills, why is another one necessary? Are we closing down loopholes? Or are we basically just trying to push this into public consciousness to alert them to what's going on and, and, and move the Overton window towards the pro-life position in that fashion? Um, the Born Alive Infants Protection Act, which he signed into law in 2002, was a definitions bill. It was just a simple three-sentence bill that said any baby born alive, no matter what gestational age, no matter what reason for being aborted, is a constitutionally protected person. But it didn't okay. say, if you violate these babies' rights, this will happen to you. So now, 20 years later, almost, um, the bill called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which is like the other half of this bill, has been presented. And this is a bill that would um, provide prosecutions and fine. Oh, You'll go to prison if you do this. You'll be fined. Even the mother can sue you. Um, because we do know of moms who, when they see their live babies, they have an immediate change of heart. So right. it's it's um, just the other side of the original born. Okay. 
So final question, tell us a bit about your work uh, at the Susan B. Anthony List. It's it's an organization, uh, I, I think the work they do is, is phenomenal. The amount of door knocking that they get accomplished and, and the effectiveness that they wield on the, on the federal level getting getting pro-life policies through. I'm also, of course, um, probably a little bit biased towards the organization because multiple people uh, that I'm friends with work there, including our uh, mutual friend, Andy Moore, uh, who's your son-in-law that I've been friends <laughs> with uh, for years. <laughs> He does. He yeah. He does amazing work for the SBA list. But uh, for for our listeners who don't know much about the SBA list, give us give us the plug for for what SBA list does and, and why it's so effective. Well, thanks. Um, SBA list is the United States' largest pro life political organization, and we focus on passing pro life legislation, halting pro abortion legislation, and elective pro life legislators. Then making sure that once they're elected, they follow the, you know, they toe the line. And um, if they wiggle, then we work to take them out. So one of the most effective things that we've been doing since 2012 is, as you said, during election years, picking states where we think that we can make the difference on the margins as in a presidential election um, or congressional election. And we focus on the Senate. Uh, because the presidency and the Senate are how you um, confirm conservative yeah. judges. And that's, that's what it's going to take in order to stop this mass killing of babies, really. So um, we approach specific voters, either pro-life Republicans who don't vote as often as they should, or pro-life Democrats and independents who, um, by modeling, look like they could be persuaded if they only knew how bad their party was on abortion because again, the media doesn't get it out enough. And we've been uh, very successful. Um, 15 out of 18 races we we've won between 2012 and 2018. And now we're in nine States for this. The 2020 election is just very important. We just have to, uh, we are, we're at a pivotal point here where this is what the pro-life movement has worked for in the U S for since Roe v. Wade. And we have, a majority of pro-life justices, um, pro-life president and Senate who can continue to confirm sane justices. And if in 2020 we don't get that again, then everything that we've worked for um, could be just sent backward. So this is a very important, they're all very important. We always say that, but this is a very important election for the pro-life movement. Uh, I'll ask one final question because uh, a lot of our listeners might find this interesting is the sort of the evangelical movement, the pro-life movement. A lot of people harp on on the significance of that movement to Trump's election. In your view, how significant was the pro-life vote to President Donald Trump's election on in, in, on November of 2016? It was very significant. For instance, in Florida, um, he only went by 12,000 votes. And that year we visited over 500,000 voters in 2016 in Florida. Um, 2018, Scott in Florida only won by 10,000 votes, so we were the margin of victory. You know, we can we can we can say that pretty much everywhere. President Trump knows that we're his base, and he appreciates us. And um, you can see by his actions and his words that he respects and um, isn't trying to advance the pro-life cause. So we support him back. He was, you know, when it came. There were 17 people running in 2016 on the Republican side, and he was really our last choice. Marjorie even came out against him. Um, when So um, 
when he became the only choice between he and Hillary, you know, there was no choice, and Marjorie became the um, chairman of his pro-life committee. Uh, so, you know, given his history, uh, you know, we were unsure, but we, the pro-life movement has to do a better job of welcoming in converts. Um, we're always suspicious, but we just have to, they're, they're, they're like people who have been evangelized, you know, and, and uh, so we have, they, they may not know how to say things the right way. And, but we have to give them a break and encourage them. And that's what we've done with President Trump, too. And, and he has said that the pro-life issue is going to be one of the main issues of his 2020 election campaign. So he knows, and that's also good for our movement, because as you talked about a few minutes ago, they don't want to talk about it. The more that we talk about it, the more that we use the right words, the more we win. Yeah. Well, Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this very depressing topic, but very important topic for everybody to hear about. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Jill Stanek of the Susan B. Anthony list on babies being born alive and left to die after abortions and the horrifying things being perpetrated by the abortion industry right across North America. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out past shows, Go to lifesitenews.com and click on the podcast tab. You, If you don't prefer to watch a podcast, you can listen on iTunes, SoundCloud. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And if you want to read any breaking commentary on any of the major pro-life and pro-family stories, again, head to lifesitenews.com. Thank you so much for joining us again this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week.